Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to a, another edition of Bright Lights, our weekly podcast that brings to you uh, achievers and successful people. Uh, we try to bring to you a positive perspective on uh, life and what you're trying to accomplish in life, uh, positive attitude, and uh, just uh, uh, how do we react? What's the best way to react to things uh, especially when they don't go our way, uh, when things aren't fair and things like that. We try to uh, delve into all of that, what I call par, uh, perspective, attitude, and reaction. I think all those things are important in life, and I've always tried to make sure that uh, I had uh, a solid perspective on life. I know when I talk to young men, I talk to a lot of young men, one of the things I ask them to do is write down uh, five or ten things that they would never do uh, because uh, in working with a lot of young, uh, especially young males, I find out a lot of times uh, they're in trouble, especially with law enforcement. Uh, and I've been in the prisons and jails and workhouses and things like that. Uh, it's because they reacted impulsively without thinking. And I try to uh, get the young men that I deal with to think ahead of time about certain situations. And it's kind of like what our parents used to do for us when we were growing up and, you know, we do realize a lot of these young men, especially uh, they're growing up in single parent homes and things like that. And a lot of them don't have a uh, positive real or role male role models to talk to them. So I try to uh, 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 let them uh, 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 know that. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, I try to also let you know a little thing that happened uh, recently. Uh, I guess the highlights uh, so far this week is my youngest son had his uh, 34th birthday and his son, who is my grandson, had his fifth uh, birthday. So I got my little uh, five-year-old grandson turned five on Monday. Uh, I can still, and I was telling my son about this, remember when he came and sat down uh, in the living room with the sonograph, uh, the sonar image and things like that. He wouldn't show it to me. Uh, he wanted to wait till my his mom got home and showed it to her first. So I, I was teasing him about all of that. Uh, so the birthday celebration went very well. I, and once again, I feel very blessed uh, for the children that I have and the one grandson that I have. And then the other thing is that uh, uh, candidates uh, have been knocking on doors. And, and I've had a few city council candidates knock on my door. Uh, Victor Martinez, uh, Crystal Porter, and I uh, had Jeremiah Ellison stop by. It almost as if he made a special trip. Some of them seemed like they were all waiting to uh, talk to me, and some of them stopped by several times until they got me at home. It's just great to have that conversation. I had to go off and run an errand when uh, Jeremiah stopped by the other day, and my wife had a nice little conversation with them. And as I pointed out, I was talking about my youngest son, uh, he and Jeremiah went to elementary school together, played uh, football together, did sleepovers together, Jeremiah and his other brother, Isaiah. So it was just nice to have that great conversation, even though we both understand uh, we got different perspective on things from a political standpoint, but we respect that. And we can have a, a respectful uh, conversation where we're not assigning negative things to uh, positive things one way or other the people's uh, political opinions and their positions and i I'm, I'm looking forward to the day uh that we as a country get back to that i mean we just got so polarized and to be honest with you and i'm just straight up uh the media is basically a fan in those flames and uh, i hope one of the day that uh the people 
the citizens on both sides, uh, whatever side you're on, uh, realize that there's a divide and conquer kind of thing going on here and uh, something that uh, people who love power and money, uh, they figured out that's a good way of getting more power and more money to keep us divided and things like that. So I hope we as a country one day, uh, as citizens, as voters, understand that and stop making character judgment about people uh, based upon their opinions. By the way, last time I looked in the dictionary, that's called bigotry. Uh, but uh, we tend to think of bigotry as other things. Anyway, that's my little two cents worth. Uh, it's more important that we hear from our guests tonight. Uh, I talked about the uh, candidates stopping by, knocking doors. Uh, we are in the campaign season. Uh, city elections are coming up. Uh, I'm not going to get into the different issues and things like that right now, but the elections are coming up. And for the past uh, few weeks, we've been having on gubernatorial candidates because we think it's important that you know the issues and where that stands on, on the issues and get to know a little bit about the people. So uh, this evening, my guest is uh, Mike Murphy. Uh, Mike is currently... Uh, mayor of Lexington, uh, Minnesota, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And uh, he's running for governor of Minnesota. So uh, without uh, further ado, as they would say, uh, uh, welcome, Mike. Uh, welcome to Bright Lights. Hey, Lacey. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I still haven't had a bad day in my life, uh, regardless of the fact that, you know, not that bad things don't happen to me, but once again, perspective, attitude, and reaction. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. I'm great. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm doing really well. Okay. Let's jump right into it, Mike. I like to have people tell me a little bit about their background, growing up, family, and things like that, and how it might have uh, predicted or shaped uh, you today as a person and your career choices and things like that. But tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and what your family situation was and what in your childhood uh, would have predicted that you'd be sitting here today as a mayor and as a gubernatorial candidate. Oh, and, and, and let's not forget the most important things, the husband and, 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 and uh, father. So uh, let's start off first from your childhood. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about where you're from and, and what were some of the influences that uh, shaped you as a man? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. So I grew up in Coon Rapids, uh, Minnesota, uh, attended elementary school, middle school, and high school there my uh, my entire uh, youth uh, part of my life. Uh, my dad is originally from Minnesota. He moved, uh, he's lived all over the world. He was a 42-year Air Force veteran, and he actually met my mom uh, in the Netherlands when he was serving over there during uh, Vietnam. Um, so my mother is a uh, immigrant from Holland, um, and my dad is Irish and Polish, so that's kind of a little family background of mine. Um, let's let's see here. I, I grew up in the nuclear family, if you will, if you want to put the technical term around it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I definitely did not come from any sort of uh, privilege or spoon-fed sort of family. Just a generic, you know, middle-class family uh, that lives in the suburbs um, from the metro area. Obviously, at that time, Coon Rapids would be equivalent to what you know Elk River is or Ramsey is these days. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about my my childhood. Uh, I've always been kind of one of those individuals that 
liked getting involved or kind of being the center of attention, if you will. Um, helping people was was one of my things that I was really passionate about. So after after high school, I I uh, went to college for uh, law enforcement because I wanted to get involved in law enforcement. Obviously, at that time, you know, 16 years ago, um, we didn't have uh, some of the situations that are going on today with the policing environment and law enforcement environment uh, as we do now with the uh, negative stigmatism about the profession. But I had to leave that, unfortunately, due to uh, a back injury. And I went on to getting involved in small business. Um, I had a a savings that I, you know, saved up from, from working in the field. And, and my uh, dad and I actually started a small business together. Um, but we now own a couple of UPS stores, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. I'm involved in commercial printing and then, you know, shipping and logistics. So I'm kind of an expert in this uh, shipping disaster that Biden has created right now across America with uh, shortages of, of products and goods. So I completely understand what's going on there if you want to talk about that later. But role models have just been, um, you know, people who, who, who are good to each other and care about, care about society. Um, I don't really have a toleration for criminals or people who want to do harm to each other um, or anybody with negative motives. Um, my dad has always been a really big influence to me just because of his, his Air Force career, his, his hard work ethic you know, making things work for the family. And I think that's important um, to have a role model like that, an important father figure in your life. And of course, my mother moving here from from a different country and adapting and learning a new language and taking 30 some years for her to, uh, you know, become American citizen. So, um, you know, you got grandparents, you got friends, you got family, it's just everything um, that influences you as long as you're, um, you know, willing to accept and work around, you know, the life tragedies and the negatives that happen and, and take those as lessons to better yourself. I think everybody has opportunities to succeed um, and, and grow up to uh, make a difference in their in, in their community and the lives of others. Uh, that's uh, excellent uh, background, uh, Mike. I was uh, talking to one of my studio uh, technicians, uh, engineers here, and we're talking about my dad and how blessed I was to grow up in. Uh, and, and you have to be careful nowadays. No, you don't have to be careful. Uh, people yeah. just because people just get offended very easily. And they do. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I know. And and they act like there's a a right in the Constitution not to be offended. And to me, that's all part of getting solving things and everything. And so we've gotten so thin skin on that. Uh, but you could get offended. But I was just telling him uh, I was just so blessed to grow up in a two parent family like you mm -hmm. around my great grandfather and all my grandparents and aunts and uncles and things. And uh, besides, uh, uh, by fate, my family, it, it, it set the uh, foundation for everything. And I don't know what it's like to I can't imagine to me. And this once again, not to disparage anybody else's uh, family situation, but. For me, man, I can't imagine what it would have been like without my dad around and everybody and, and us as a family. Yeah, uh, me either. So uh, you talked about the UPS, and that's going pretty good. We may get into the whole supply chain type of situation right now. Look like we're in a lot of trouble uh, for the holidays as far as getting goods and goods being available and the price of goods and everything. And yep. so this might be a uh, 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 challenging uh, 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 Christmas holiday season for a lot of people. I shouldn't say Christmas holiday season for a lot of people. But once again, uh, it may force us to think about uh, what 
is really more important when we don't have all the trinkets and, and boxes and gift wrap packages under the tree. Uh, you are currently, Mike, uh, the mayor of Lexington, Minnesota. And before we go any further, uh, where is Lexington, Minnesota, and what's the population of Lexington, Minnesota? Yep. Lexington's, if you want to, it's right by the 35 Highway 10 split, Anoka County, if you, uh, Anoka County Airport, if you want some landmarks, uh, Circle Pines, Lionel Lakes, Blaine, uh, just on the east side of Anoka, east south side of Anoka County. Uh, we're about 5,000, yeah, we're just under the 5,000 mark. I think once one of our new development projects is reached and completed, we'll get that pushed over. But uh, we're surrounded, you know, by Blaine and Lionel Lakes, Circle Pines, Shoreview, Moundsview. So it's not like we're this tiny city that's off in, you know, greater Minnesota. We're just a, a little city that is surrounded by a bunch of big cities that still face all of the same issues, all of the same problems that the big cities face. And um, my wife and I moved here actually from uh, Minneapolis in 2011. I had to think about that. Sorry. So I lived in, in downtown Minneapolis with uh, friends. My my fiance, now wife at the time, uh, lived on Ninth and Park, second in Marquette, uh, kind of just here and there in a few other parts of Minneapolis for about 10 years. So I'm familiar with the city. Love it. All of my friends, uh, a lot of my what I call family, even though their friends are, are still there. So I frequent the city quite often, but uh, moved here in 2011. We just wanted to, you know, think about starting a family, wanting more space. The housing market was okay at that time. 2016, I was like, you know, energized by politics, kind of sick and tired of taxes going up at the community level. Um, just, uh, you know, the normal city stuff that that happens with the bureaucratic uh, city government. So my wife was like, well, stop complaining, get up off the couch and, and go do something about it. So I was past the filing deadline and then I ran as a writing candidate, actually won as a writing candidate, which was great. I just, you know, went out, hit the doors, pounded the pavement uh, and, and did some mailers and, and knocked on every door that I possibly could. Was elected 2019, the uh, mayor's seat uh, became available and I took that position, uh, was voted in by the city council, ran for uh, re-election 2020, was re-elected unopposed. Uh, and I like to say that's because I did good things for my community. So that's why nobody ran against me. And then, uh, you know, everything happened in 2020 after that. Um, Tim Walls obviously hasn't been the most fair and honest governor that the state of Minnesota has ever had. Um, constant tax increases, uh, you know, what happened during COVID with the lockdown, small businesses closing, the war in our law enforcement, uh, the week-long burning and looting incident uh, that took place in Minneapolis and St. Paul obviously for very tragic region reasons, but a lot of that could have been prevented for the most part if he took action. Uh, just various things, and, and, and uh, what's making me sit here now today is because I'm, I'm tired of watching my state descend into chaos and fall apart. But uh, we've done really good things. I know we're on the mayor thing with Lexington, but uh, you know, feel free to go ahead and ask me any questions about that. But I mean, that's kind of how I got into the whole political life, if you will. Yeah, and... Uh... To my non-Minnesota audience, uh, and we talk specifically about Minnesotas a lot, but uh, B, uh, the way I look at it, uh, Minnesota is kind of like uh, the research lab for a lot of the issues that are facing this country, yeah. uh, whether it's uh, police reform, yeah. crime, 
uh, rebuilding the economy, election integrity, critical race theories. We'll get into all of that uh, today. And by the way, for those in our audience who want to learn more about the program and support it, uh, go out to LaceyJohnson.com uh, and you'll see some information on Bright Lights and our store and everything like that. So we appreciate any support that you can give along that line. So, uh, so you're mayor of uh, Lexington, Minnesota. If you had to name uh, maybe your top two or three accomplishments as mayor that you're proud of, uh, what would they be, uh, Mike? Yeah, uh, great question. So I'll, I'll go with number one. Um, obviously, I'm a big supporter of our Constitution, protecting our Constitution from tyrannical uh, governments like we're facing right now, because we all know the Constitution are not rules for the people, they're rules for the government, uh, and it's being broken and uh, tattered every day. So uh, unanimously, my city this year passed a Second Amendment sanctuary resolution declaring uh, the city of Lexington a Second Amendment sanctuary, which is the only one in Anoka County and uh, the only one in the metro area of Minnesota and the Twin Cities, which means that uh, we're not going to expend any city resources, use our police department or anything like that to enforce any unconstitutional Second Amendment mandates. So that means in the city of Lexington, um, your Second Amendment rights are safe here. Um, and then also we we've we've lowered property taxes i've helped i've had my hand in bringing in over 200 million dollars worth of economic development to our community which means that uh for one it adds value to our city and increases our tax base while at the same time lowering property taxes for uh residential homeowners because those properties are commercial so they're going to pay a higher rate which means that residential properties go down so once those projects are complete, that's really going to have a really good positive uh, cash flow impact in my community to help the residents. Our crime rates are down. We have a joint powers agreement with uh, Centerville, Lexington, and Circle Pines for a shared police department. So the three cities have worked together to create a wonderful well-ran police department. We have about 20 officers and then plus supportive staff as well. So the crime rates in this town are down and the surrounding towns are down. Um, we've just done a lot of really good things. Oh, and I uh, also signed and, uh, an ordinance that we created as well, kind of mimicking the other cities, which is the what I like to call the Anti-Riot Act, which prevents kind of a uh, John Thompson situation where you know he came to Hugo and, and uh, brought, brought a whole entire crowd of people uh, to, to protest, uh, which is now actually illegal in my community and actually many cities in the state of Minnesota now, but it's not against First Amendment rights. It's just against uh, large groups and gathering and targeted picketing outside of people's homes and communities. Okay, so. yeah, uh, along that Second Amendment, I uh, recently was invited to a gun shop and firing range and what uh, struck me was the number of ladies out there, a lot yeah. of them, ladies of color out there uh, learning how to shoot and protect themselves. And, you know, I, I, I think I read somewhere where the sale of guns are way up and, you know, what they, do they expect for people to do uh, when they can't count on the police? And I know some, I know some, uh, how do you put this? I, I know some church going ladies yeah. who are now going out packing and getting their concealed and carry and uh, because they are concerned that the police is not there. Uh, so uh, I appreciate what you've done along those lines. Let's talk about some of the things that uh, uh, issues that's facing us 
uh, as a country, uh, as a state, as a city. Uh, let's start off with the whole state of business right now, where uh, at least on a state level, uh, there's a lot of business that got into trouble behind the uh, COVID shutdown. A lot mm-hmm. of them went out of business. People lost their life savings. Uh, then there was that came uh, right after that came the whole uh, rioting and things and looting and things that affected a lot of business. In short, a lot of them are suffering very much nowadays. What do we need to do to rebuild these businesses, Mike, and uh, create job growth? Yeah, that that is a very big task and question and uh, roadmap to lay out. Um, unfortunately. I don't think we have a really concrete path right now, or at least I know the Walls administration does, doesn't, I should say, um, didn't finish my word there, but it's, it, isn't it amazing how fast it took to break decades and decades of success and growth down to what it is now? I mean, it hasn't even been two years yet in what the state of Minnesota has lost between uh, what took place in Minneapolis and St. Paul, the shutdowns, what some around 2000 businesses, uh, most of them small businesses, most of them in, you know, uh, communities of color, restaurants, I mean, everything. It's it's really disappointing, it's sad. So we really have to focus uh, at, at the state, creating jobs, which there are a lot of jobs out there, but the thing is there isn't jobs that a lot of people wanna do they don't want to go flip burgers when they can go do DoorDash or Lyft or Uber for roughly the same amount of pay, but have more freedom. So we have to look at kind of the evolving economy now because everybody has that need it now attitude. I can order my groceries online and have it delivered. I don't have to go shopping anymore. Oh, by the way, the restaurants now all deliver my meals because of the COVID shutdown. So they had to adapt. So everything's kind of moved online to this 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 different culture of purchasing. So if you're looking at um, the kind of retail aspect of it, we're going to see a lot of the bigger retail outlets shutting down, which announcements have already come out from Kohl's, JCPenney, Best Buy, Target, you name it. Even Walmart are going to be shutting stores down because of the loss of foot traffic. But we we have to focus on creating the ability for people to to generate their own and develop their own small businesses with help and make it a lot easier without having some of the major consequences that happens when you, let's say, default on something or the state licensing fees and the regulations and the red tape that it takes to do some of these businesses um, and start it up. Now, me as a small business owner myself, I had uh, almost 40 employees between my printing, my shipping and my retail stores. I am down to 18. I am less than less than half of where I was right now. And it's an unbearable struggle to find people to come to work. Uh, going into my business busy season right now with UPS, obviously Amazon is one of our biggest customers with returns. And then um, then we have the supply chain crisis that's going on for people to, you know, ship their gifts to their loved ones and their family members. Um, and then the shipping slowdowns because of staffing and overflow. I kind of know I'm going off on a tangent because it's it's everything in the circle back to the premise of your question is what are we going to do about it? How are we going to how are we going to do it? Um, it's not going to it, it's not going to be able to be fixed in one election cycle, two election cycles. I think we're at the point now where so much damage has been done. It's going to be an entire generation of change to resolve the problems that we're facing 
our our nation in our state right now um a lot of it has to do with crime so we have you know in the metro area or even in some of the suburbs or suburb areas or surrounding the twin cities businesses are leaving and they're moving farther away or they're moving out of state because for one they they're sick and tired of the constant threats of tax increases from governor walls's administration um and also they're afraid of the COVID shutdowns that might happen again in the state because of what he did before. So we don't even know the real impact of what, of what's happened or took place in the last 18 months in this economy. Because if you try to do the research and look at the reports and see who's left and who's come in and the, you know, the, the, the medium wealth in the state anymore, none of those reports are honest and transparent or released to us. But in order to rebuild and, and, and create new opportunities, we need to, what I believe in is a really good program that is very underutilized in Minnesota is the Opportunity Zones program. Um, we have to get bigger businesses to move into communities that are impoverished, communities that are underdeveloped throughout the state and, and, and create those jobs because governments do not create jobs government is terrible at job creation we need the private sector to really step in and fix this problem and we have to give them good solutions but also make the state of minnesota appealing for a tesla to come move to or or an organization like that that actually brings employment you know what i mean uh -huh. it's kind of like my my tangent answer because it's going to take not just me and you it's going to take me and you and about 400 other people sitting in a room throwing stuff at a wall to try to figure out what exactly is going to work best to develop a strong plan it's going to take community leaders and it's going to take people who are a lot smarter than i am at business and then people that are good at finance and accounting and then general just members of the community that don't know about business giving ideas because this state is in it, whether people realize it or not, Minnesota is in big trouble, um, especially when, you know, some of the primary candidates I'm running uh, against in Governor Walls is running around saying, you know, the state is flush with cash. You know, we, we, we had no tax cuts, but nobody in the media, nobody likes to point out the fact that our unemployment uh, account, um, our unemployment trust is negative by almost two billion dollars right now. So we're not flush with cash. We owe the federal government almost $2 billion in loans that we took out for unemployment. So we're broke. Yeah, so there's quite a bit to unpack there. Yeah, sorry. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I will focus on a couple of things. You mentioned you used to live downtown, and you know, I, I'm almost like a broken record on this. I was downtown, and my dentist's office is downtown, Paradonis, and everybody. And I was down there earlier this week. And every time I go down there, it, it, it's like a ghost town. It is sad when you uh, uh, remember the vibrant of downtown Minneapolis. Yep. And that set a, set a, uh, separated us from a lot of big cities, as a matter of fact. So that, that's one thing. And then, uh, you know, as ha have the has the business and work paradigm forever changed and all those big office buildings downtown Minneapolis and in these cities across the uh, countries, are they going to be like ghost buildings where nobody's in and we're going to be tearing them down and putting in some new stuff? What's going to happen to our cities yeah. now that uh, we're in this new paradigm, online, working from home? And by the way, I'm so tired of Zoom, but... 
That's <laughs> I shouldn't have interjected that, but it's just my personal thing. I don't uh, like Zoom. Get tired too. of all these Zoom stuff. Yep. Uh, but uh, what are we going to do, Mike? Uh, is this a permanent type of uh, uh, economic uh, municipal uh, re- readjustments going on here? Will we, ever, will, will, will we ever put that genie back in the bottle where we got Brussels and downtowns, office building, office workers. We got businesses making a living off of them. Uh, have we been forever changed? I think, to be honest with you, we're forever changed. Um, to my knowledge, the last time that I read an article, I think I can't remember the exact percentage. Maybe it's 60% now, but I know I remember reading 40% occupied for Minneapolis. It's probably in between that in between that area. I have restaurant bar owner friends that have you know restaurants and bars in downtown Minneapolis. They're nowhere near as busy as they were pre-pandemic, except for on the weekends, which it's hit or miss depending on what's going on. I think we're forever changed. And the big reason is because rent uh, and, and the cost to maintain those skyscrapers and to pay for the desks and the computers and, and the lights and the air conditioning is really, really, really expensive. And these businesses, it's a lot, a lot cheaper to have their employees, if they can, work mm-hmm. from home use their company laptop and a monitor and literally work from anywhere in the world. I, I, I have friends that were stuck in offices from now nine to five and now their jobs have completely changed. They're traveling in the world. They're, they're living anywhere they want with an internet connection and doing whatever they want. And they're still working their regular job from anywhere in the world, getting paid the same amount of money and living a great life. And I think that's what people want, especially our youth, um, especially this generation and, the generation after that are going to want the mobility to be able to 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 come and go as they please as long as they're getting their work done and uh i do i think that i don't think we're ever going to see what we had before in the 80s 90s 2000s and just a few years ago with the bustling downtown hubs and uh, everybody you know jamming into wall street in the morning to get ready for the stock trading floor and or even in, in Minneapolis, everybody, you know, piling in the elevators to go up the IDS tower. I just I just don't think we're ever going to get back there again uh, when we've now developed and evolved into this online culture, uh, this society of Zoom. I would rather be sitting with you right now in your office than, than talking to you on a computer monitor, you know, just like you said. But I think face-to-face is still going to have its purposes. It, it, you still have to have those interpersonal relationships and those communication uh, with individuals face-to-face. I don't think that's ever going to go away, but what in the world is going to happen to those buildings? I have yeah. no idea. What are you going to yeah, do that. with them? Turn, it, turn them into housing? Uh I, I don't. I just don't know. That's probably Maybe. not a bad idea, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because uh, what are we going to do with the IDS and the Northwest Bank building? And, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, so uh, segueing, a, uh, segueing a little bit from uh, the business. Well, no, let, let's talk about the job growth. Uh, I, I, well, first of all, uh, holidays shut down at 6 o'clock the other day. We were, me and my wife was out and yeah. because they didn't have workers. I got business all around shutting down. <laughs> they don't have workers. And uh, once again, sounding like a broken record here. Uh, I don't know what people are thinking when they give healthy people too much money for free. And I believe in, uh, you know, we all can hit a bad spot in life where we need some temporary help. 
But there's a kind of philosophy and half of the people in government, we just give people stuff for free. They don't have to work for it. And to be honest with you, uh, I see the effect it's had on the black community where we're giving some, I mean, it's eating into the work ethics. And that's one of my little pet peeves here. Uh, but uh, tell us about where do you see the job growth? Like I say, at one time I was talking to someone, the president of downtown council, and they were concerned about job growth and not having enough workers. Uh, uh, has that? How has that been impacted? And where do you see the job growth at? And where do, will we be able to fulfill those uh, 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 needs for uh, skilled workers and things like that? Yeah. So I think to start off, we, we have to get rid of the cradle to grave government mentality, right? Um, this pandemic has been devastating for many levels, loss of life, the economy, everything else that we're talking about tonight, and just the complete life alteration, emotional distress on our children, uh, the mental illness, the drinking problems it's created, the family issues, right? It's going to take a long time for that 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 to to change. But the one thing, the one thing that was the worst part of this, besides all of the other things that I named, um, for for the business aspect and for our uh, our society when it comes to to working, is the idea that it created a huge swath of people who are now reliant on on the handouts and the benefits and in the uh, entitlements from the government. It's made them uh, rely upon enhanced unemployment for months. They got all these extra, uh, you know, the extra money. They're still continuing to get unemployment right now, even without the enhanced dollars from from uh, the Biden and Walls administration uh, from a state and federal level. So people are still collecting their unemployment. There was a lot of unemployment fraud, which occurred. I had a ton of people that I've never even employed apply for unemployment at my businesses. Uh, that I had to fight off and say that they weren't there. So I think if we're going to have to put our foot down kind of like, you know, the the angry dad mentality or, you know, you you don't need that ice cream right now before bed. We're going to have to say no more unemployment un unless you need it. I'm fine helping people who need help. All right. That's one thing that 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 I hate about the the mentality and stigmatism around conservatives is that we don't care about people. Uh, that is very far from the truth. I genuinely care for people. I want people who need the help, have the help, be able to use it as, as a stepping stone to get up off the ground and, and better their lives and then move on to the next thing uh, without having to use those entitlements or those services. But there are a lot of able-bodied individuals right now that can go get a job. Yep. Now, everybody's like, well, only if you just paid a living wage, you know, or $8 an hour to flip burgers at McDonald's. Well, those jobs at McDonald's or Subway or Burger King or even at Holiday were not meant to be careers. Right. They were meant for high school kids or people going to college just to earn some extra cash until they moved on uh, to their to their career or their profession. Now, I'm not bashing the people that have stayed in those positions. I mean, do whatever makes you happy, Right. But at, at the end of the day, our society has made things so difficult uh, to, to pick yourself up um, and, and move up the ladder on your own, such as college tuition is extremely expensive. You shouldn't have to pay a hundred and some $50,000 just to get a bachelor's degree in business administration, for God's sakes, right? Our state-ran colleges and universities in Minnesota should not be as much money as they are for tuition. 
I mean, if you want to go and, and go to a private university and pay whatever they're charging, that's different. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I feel that we that that college has become one of the biggest scams and and created so much debt for for the generation right behind me, because I'm only 37 years old that they're never going to be able to dig themselves out of it. So why do they want to go work at $15 an hour job dealing with crabby people at the holiday gas station? No, they're going to, they're going to want to put on their, you know, their Spotify and, and, and their iTunes and drive around and deliver food and groceries for people because they're not going to get yelled at. They don't have to stand on their feet all day long. And guess what? They're getting paid the same amount of money. So it's going to take a lot more than just putting your feet down and stopping the unemployment. That's going to help. But we have to look at all these ancillary things that have happened for the last decade or more in this state and say, how are we going to correct it? How are we going to make people's lives easier? How are we going to lift up our blighted communities and the people suffering without also creating a burden on our taxpayers and and, and kind of make everybody lift up at the same time, if you will? You know what I mean? So it's going to be a process. It's going to be a big plan that we're going to have to put together, but it can be done. But first things first, we have to have a governor and we have to have an executive uh, branch of government, you know, all the way down to the secretary of state and all of the cabinet members and the attorney general and even people elected in the House and the Senate to say, hey, Minnesota, it is time to get back to work. The pandemic is coming to an end. Let's do this. Let's 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 do this together. Let's help our neighbors. Let's help our communities. Let's Let's, you know, be good citizens of the state in this country and get back to work. But the problem, that's not happening. We have a governor that's running around saying, well, guess what? I'm going to give you a $200 Visa gift card if you get the shot and a $100,000 scholarship. And I'm just going to bribe you and bribe you and bribe you and bribe you with things uh, to stay and be reliant on the system. And it's very disappointing that that's where we've become, where we haven't allowed individuals to, to, to think freely uh, to use free will and to lift themselves up and, and, and be whatever they want to be. Well, you mentioned uh, uh, living wages and stuff. And, you know, I'm, I guess I'm proud to be old school. Uh, my thing is, uh, in my day, if you need to make more money and you want prepared educationally and everything, you just went out and worked two jobs. That's what I, my, yeah, yeah, I mean, my first yeah, job I mean, was 14. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was I mean, 14 sweeping up popcorn at a yeah. movie theater for minimum wage. I did that at 14. Yeah, so yeah. they're acting like working two jobs is illegal nowadays. And I, I just know. remember one quarter I worked full-time, I worked part-time, and I had a full-time load in college. So yeah. I don't understand all this whining about minimum wage and stuff like that. And uh, I have to be careful here because people do get offended a little bit, and, but we're not worried, worried about that. Uh, the other part of that, and I tell everybody, uh, when I think of solution, I think of what I would say to someone I love. And I was telling someone the other day, if my son, who just had a 34th birthday, or the one that's 39, uh, came to me and said, Dad, I'm not making enough money to support your, my family. The last thing I would tell him is just go into your boss's office and make him pay you more money. Uh, I would, because I love him, uh, I would say, hey, look, let's figure out a way where you can get a better paying job, get educated, prepare yourself, and get a better paying job. Or, son, you just got to get out and work two jobs. This whole thing where we look at business as 
a government toy that we use to redistribute wealth and make them give away things. I'm not a big believer in that. So we, we could talk some more about that. Uh, so now we talked about the, uh, the business and how does taxes in Minnesota, what would be your tax policy? And you mentioned that uh, there's a lot of businesses move because Minnesota is not that friendly of a, uh, a business environment, but it has so many quality or well, used to have so many good quality of life for people uh, aspects for people. They were willing to sacrifice uh, some of the taxes and everything else. But uh, long story short, give me a quick, description of what your tax policy would be and what changes you would be making to the tax policy, both for businesses and for uh, taxpaying citizens. Yeah. So yeah, Minnesota has seen a lot of our, our bigger companies start to relocate and move. I mean, for instance, Medtronic uh, a number of years ago left Minnesota. They're headquartered now in Ireland. Uh, Uline was never headquartered here, but they moved their huge warehouse where they have thousands of employees from Egan just across the river to Hudson, Wisconsin, because Wisconsin has better tax breaks. Um, not to mention uh, payroll taxes are, are way less in Wisconsin. So we have a lot of a lot of businesses paying for their employees to move out of the state, or they're just uh, reincorporating somewhere else. Uh, South Dakota, for one, has become a really big big state that people are leaving to. But ultimately, my end goal is to, if I'm elected governor, is to audit the entire state of Minnesota independently for all fraud, waste, and abuse at every level. Prosecute anybody that I can for, for any sort of malpractice or theft or any illegal activities or embezzlement. Uh, the daycare fraud scandal is one of those situations that was never addressed to the tune of almost $200 million, for example. So we have to get the state of Minnesota under control. Uh, I forensically audit my businesses uh, with my bookkeeper every year. We go through the checkbook, we go through the credit cards, we go through all the cash receipts, you know, tax time. I make sure every penny and cent, uh, dollar bill, every check is accounted for. And there's no reason why we can't do that at a state level to make sure that there's no theft and malpractice occurring, which we know in Minnesota it is. We're one of the third and the fourth highest tax states uh, in the entire country when it comes to uh, payroll taxes, and it also comes to, to to corporate business taxes. If you look at Governor Walls, one of the first things that he wanted to do was have a uh, tax uh, gas tax increase. This last budget cycle, even through the pandemic, he wanted to create another tax bracket for high income earners. He wanted to increase the uh, estate tax, which is also known as the as the death tax, which I would repeal in the state of Minnesota. Sorry, if you die, you shouldn't have to pay taxes because you died. That makes no sense. Also, again, we have to get rid of the cradle to grave government in the state of Minnesota. But ultimately, at the end of the day, once we get Minnesota under control, and I think to do that, it's going to take business, people with business mindsets and, and the wherewithal to actually do it. Uh, the politicians cannot do this. They're not capable. They're not wired that way to care enough to actually fix the financial status of the government because their mentality is we'll just increase taxes to fix it because that's just what we've done year after year. That's why I think a state legislator such as a senator or a House member make terrible gubernatorial candidates because they don't understand what needs to be done because they've lived so long just saying we'll just increase the budgets again just like they did this last cycle right now for the biennium for like three, four billion dollars. I can't remember the exact dollar amount. But the point I'm trying to make is ultimately we need to get Minnesota on a path where 
my end goal is to repeal the income tax in, in the state. And I think Absolutely. it can be done, but we're going to have to really hammer down on where everything is going because government in Minnesota year over year is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it, it, we have to end it right. Uh, my primary candidates I'm running against three of them are two of them are current state senators. The other one's a former Senator. And if you go back and look at their voting record, every time a bill came up that grew the state of Minnesota's government, they voted yes for it. So that's a prime example of what we need to end. That's why they would make terrible, uh, governors because they don't understand what enough is enough, but we, we have to repeal taxes. We have to make Minnesota a business friendly state again, by decreasing the corporate tax rate, eliminating the death tax in the state of Minnesota, eliminating stupid programs like governor Walz's California taxes for the emission standards, which, you know, the Senate uh, Paul Gazelka and Michelle Benson sit and claim is a big victory because they put an end to the California emission standards, but it's just going to kick in in two years. So all they did was put a holiday on it. So that makes no sense for them to tout that. We have to end these stupid programs that exist like that, that constantly tax, tax, tax us for every little thing in the state. And I think we can get to a point where, where, where we can repeal the income tax, but we're going to have to come up with new innovative programs. I know a lot of people are screaming for sports gambling. That's a very big tax revenue. If you want to gamble on the Vikings and lose your money every weekend, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. Um, you know, that's no different than going to go push the slot machine buttons in Vegas and, and, and down at the casinos here in Minnesota. If you want to gamble, gamble. Uh, I think sports, uh, sports betting, uh, gambling and, and generating tax revenues off of that would be good. And then one of the hot things that people are talking about today is because of the Biden administration um, wants to end the mining in the Iron Range, which is a very big tax base for Minnesota, especially if we're able to open up the copper and nickel mining in the iron range uh, successfully, that that will bring in billions of dollars uh, a year in, in tax revenue, uh, not to mention a majority of that goes to fund uh, the, the school trust fund in the state of Minnesota. So that's how we pay for our schools. And I think we can get mining open in Minnesota where we're not having huge environmental impacts. And personally, if we can get mining open in Minnesota, I would rather feel better that we're buying those minerals in America, uh, knowing that it's not done by slave labor in Africa and China, children's slave labor. Well, uh, just a quick observation. I think the challenge for uh, most uh, governmental units and uh, politicians, and I think generally speaking, voters have shown that deficits and debt is not that high a priority on that no, list. It's not sexy and, for and, 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 and politicians, <laughs> politicians don't care. They're, they're, they're no. running up. If it get them elected, they'll run up the debt, promise everything. They don't and care. And so that's, that's, that's the big challenge that we have as voters. And, and, and the other part of that is, is that the media who should, someone in the media, a good part of it, should be representing the interests of the voters they don't seem to care about it either. No, the media is their enemy. Well, yeah, they're 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 part of the PR agencies of the different parties, so <laughs> yeah. uh, they are basically useless. The media, God, I'm so disappointed in them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's amazing when you, and, and when you think about why we're so divided and stuff. All you gotta do is take a look at the media and and, and the 
quality or well, lack of quality in the work that they do. I just can't believe uh, the sad state of our uh, media and press nowadays. And I'll leave you know. that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, law enforcement. And uh, we know we've talked a little bit about the crime that's going on around here. We talked about how people are arming themselves up and doing uh, concealing carry and learning how to uh, use weapon because they know they can't count on the police in a lot of times. So uh, long story short, what do we do uh, to uh, support law enforcement? And I use the word support in quotation because I saw that uh, associated with your name somewhere. So, well, first of all, what do, you, what do we do to support the police? What do you mean about that? Uh, well, first off, that being a law enforcement as I was uh, for six years, I, I understand uh, what it takes to, 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 to go to work every day and knowing that, A, you might not come home to your family or you might get injured uh, or anything bad could happen or just who knows what your day will bring, right? Uh, so supporting them, you know, meaning that, hey, we have your back. We're here for you when those bad things happen. We know that your job is not easy and supporting them as a community, just as simple as saying, thank you. Thank you for the work that you do to protect us from the bad people that are out there. That's as basic as we can get, but there's other levels of support, such as funding them, making sure that they have the best equipment, funding them to the point where we know that we're hiring only the best people, um, like we do in my community. We make sure that, that, that we pick only the best candidates uh, for the job that are well trained, and when they get here, we make sure that they're trained even more when they come out of this, come out of school. So those are certain things that we can do for law enforcement as far as support. Saying, you know, just like just like when you go to your regular job, whatever that is, whoever I'm talking to right now on this podcast, and your boss buys you pizza on Fridays, that's a way of them supporting you. Um, you know, at, at your employment. So when when you say thank you to law enforcement. That really goes a long way, especially to all of our first responders. It's just saying thank you. It's a big deal putting themselves out there uh, in harm's way, whether you're a firefighter, a doctor, a nurse, or uh, an EMT. I mean, all of our first responders or military, they need a big thank you. Um, so that's how we do that. Now, now, going back to what we can do about the crime and the law enforcement, the law enforcement recruiting right now is at an all-time low in the state of Minnesota. Uh, in, in our entire history, along with the country, it's going to take at least five years from what I've been told from law enforcement professionals uh, for students to actually go to college because it requires a college education in the state of Minnesota. Most states, you just show up, go to the police academy, and 12 weeks, 12 weeks later, you're out you know, in field training and you have a job. In Minnesota, it actually requires that you have a minimum uh, degree, which is a, uh, an associate's degree, and then you have to go through six weeks of skills, and then generally after that, you go through training at whatever police department you get hired at, uh, and then you're put on probation for uh, usually about 12 months after that before you can be sworn or officially uh, a member of the department instead of an at-will employee. So as far as people saying, we need more training for our law enforcement, we have great training for our law enforcement and some of the highest standards in this in the entire country here in the state of minnesota but what we need is a leadership that actually cares about our police all the way for, on down from the governor's office to the judges to the prosecutors 
uh, to everybody that works in the corrections field or in the legal field. Because going out there and being a police officer right now and let's say arresting somebody, just knowing that that person just got done violent, you know, with a domestic abuse uh, violation against their wife or their girlfriend and that he or she is going to be out of jail in an hour because some terrible prosecutor or judge doesn't want to do their job is pretty demeaning. Um, so and the entire legal system needs to be revamped. We have to start prosecuting crimes again. And that's also how we support our law enforcement. Um, but also, for instance, in Minneapolis, a lot of people left because of the toxic work environment that occurred. Um, I know there are bad cops. Every police department has them. Fortunately, the police departments that I worked for and then the one that I am currently running now as mayor, along with the other two cities, we don't have bad cops. We find them, we root them out, we investigate them, and we let them go. Uh, that mentality in these bigger cities, it kind of seems like that brotherhood evolves and allows that behavior, which we have to change that mentality and we have to root out bad police. Okay. So, Mike. So, uh, everything. Sorry, I rambled on. No, 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 that's, <laughs> no that's, that's okay. I'm, uh, I'm, I, we got a, 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 about seven minutes yet. I'm going to try to squeeze oh, in a I thought that, I thought we went all night long. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know you thought that. I could see. No. Uh, so now uh, we talk about supporting law enforcement. Uh, we got a big part of our audience out there who thinks that uh, who's of the opinion that and, and believe in with some justification that uh, how do you support the community against law enforcement that, you know, we are here painful and hurt. And we all saw the video of George Floyd and yeah. and we we we, we think uh, how do you support us and protect us against this? What would be your response to to uh, the member? Your brief response to the members of our audience who say, hey, what about us? Uh, okay, so you're talking about bad actors in law enforcement? Yeah, well, yeah, the community, or, and they're yeah. feeling bad, and they see this video, yeah. and they, they see people getting killed and things like yep. that, and then they see someone come on and talk about support law enforcement and do not mention them and their feelings and the way they look at things. So what would yep. you say to those people out there? Well, first off, I'm sorry, because, you know, if that – that for one, the George Floyd incident should have never even occurred the way it is. That That is not the policing that I was trained on. That is not the policing that every cop that I know out there and even my police department here in, in uh, Centennial Lakes Police Department mm -hmm. is trained on those tactics. Uh, the other officers that were on the scene with Floyd and Chauvin should have pulled them off. Uh, you don't sit on somebody's back, especially when they're hand, handcuffed and they can't breathe. That is just terrible decisions that that were made there, which led to a tragic death. Um, but what we need to show people at a law enforcement level for the community is community policing needs to come back and it needs to come back in full force. Law enforcement needs to become a part of the communities again, uh, like it used to be. And in order to adequately do that, you have to have funding for these programs. And when you're constantly screaming, defund the police, defund the police, defund the police, uh, they're not going to be able to use their budgets and their resources to actually have, you know, bike with a cop day, coffee with a cop day, uh, you know, cops coming to read at, at schools or any, any community events. Um, I, I think the interaction, the public interaction with police and in the bigger cities have become so one-sided 
instead of a two-way, hi, I'm here just to be here to talk with you, ask me any questions because I'm at yeah. an event or you need me at a birthday party or any of that stuff just, you know, to come have fun with your kids at a birthday party. That's not happening in our bigger cities anymore. Um, right. So if we get back to that community and trust and say, I'm not a bad person, I'm not a bad law enforcement officer. Yes, we have bad ones. And don't worry, you know, me as an officer, I'm not afraid to call out those bad ones. I think we'll go a long way with with fixing the community relations um, when it comes to law enforcement. Okay. And Mike, we got to get you some short answers. Yo, I can run over, though. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, switch gears just a little bit uh election integrity which is one of the issues that i saw that you uh also spoke to what do you mean by election integrity and what exactly uh uh do you think needs to be done to improve uh election integrity i'll give you the quick wrapped up answer Mm -hmm. um, trust in the process is is really big. It's it's the duty of, of 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 our government, and it's also ingrained in the Constitution that we're supposed to have fair and free elections. Uh, if we don't have trust in the process, we lose our democracy. We we lose people's trust in government and faith in society, and that needs to end. So if there's any doubt or if there's any fear of any sort of election fraud going on, we have to root it out, find it. Um, and, and prove it through investigations. And unfortunately, certain sides of the political spectrum are, are unwilling to do that. And especially in your election against Ilan Omar, Project Veritas, you know, unveiled a lot of, of fraudulent things that were occurring with her campaign. Um, and also in the state of Minnesota, we don't have a forensic audit process on the books. So we have to get forensic audits uh, on, on record in a process in the state of Minnesota. Voter ID, there's 15 forms, I believe, of voter ID that can be used. What's wrong with that? It doesn't disenfranchise anybody. Same-day registration needs to have provisional ballots. We need to make sure that the machines that we're using are updated and secure uh, and also audited for Internet connections. So there's, there's so many different things that we can do uh, that does not infringe upon anybody's constitutional rights. And it's, it's, it's basic, and I don't understand why it has to be such a huge conflict. Well, I tell everyone, and you mentioned personal experience, I'm not relying on news reports and everything else. Uh, I know there's issues out there, and mm -hmm. I know the system very well. I know how it works. And I'll, I'll just say this. If you go to a bank and someone got a back door to the bank vault, yeah. you know somebody in that bank is probably stealing money. And exactly. when you look at the way the system is set up, it's designed to cheat. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. And, and, and it's designed to cheat on purpose. And regardless of what the media is saying, and they, they're part of the problem, too, like I say, not yeah. harping on that. Uh, one other quick thing, and we didn't get to everything, and you're going to help me out here, Mike, and stay on task here and questions. Uh, one thing I was interested in is just your whole stance on critical race theory, because education is a very, very uh, important uh, item for me, and I think it's the key, one of the four keys to uh, change the situation in a lot of these communities. So uh, I saw you specifically mention critical race theory, and what's your take on critical race theory, and how would a governor uh, impact that? Exactly. So the only thing, in my opinion, and 
is that when it comes to critical race theory, it should be a teaching that is not taught at all. If when it comes to race, the only thing that should be taught is, hey, it is, it is terrible, it is inhumane, it is appalling to discriminate against somebody because of their age, sex, religion, color, whatever you name it. That should be the only thing that is taught. That should be the only thing that is punished. But this whole victim mentality or guilty mentality for being a certain race or a certain victim because or a victim because of your certain race is is should not be taught at all. Critical race theory should be completely gone. The money needs to follow the students. We have to give parents more control over what their children are being taught. So we have to give educations back to our teachers. We have to teach civics again in our classrooms. We stop teaching the Constitution and American exceptionalism. We have to have vouchers. We have to have school choice. We, we have to support any and everything with education, uh, especially in our communities of failing, you know, where there are failing schools, for God's sakes. Our children over the last year have been masked, shut out, Zoomed, COVID this. Uh, we have teachers that are doing extremely weird things with, with posters on the wall and teaching these weird perverted books. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense um, at all to me. But if we give parents the ability to say, I'm taking my kid out of this failing school and we're going to this school because I can use my taxpayer dollars, my dollars the way that I want, it's going to go a long way into to, to fixing the educational crisis we have because Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the state of Minnesota have the worst achievement gaps in the entire country by race and socioeconomic status. And that is a God-given fact. There are plenty of studies that prove that out there right now. We have a governor that is a former teacher that is doing absolutely nothing about it other than kowtowing to the teachers' unions. And, you know, going back to money needs to follow the student, I mean, look at St. Paul schools had a shutdown early this year because they didn't have air conditioning in their damn schools. That makes absolutely no sense. And they're one of the richest school districts in the entire state of Minnesota. Well, you know, uh, you probably know my background is corporate and engineering. And we had uh, methodologies for solving problems and achieving things. And one of the big, and, and to be honest, I don't have much confidence in the political process solving a lot of difficult uh, issues until they just get so bad that people can't stand it anymore until it's too late. Uh, but something like police reform, Rodney King happened over 30 years ago, I think it was. And we're still talking it. And we haven't yep. made much progress. And I don't think we're going to make much progress because of the way we're going about it. Uh, education, uh, closing the achievement gap. We haven't made much progress at it. And I don't think we're going to make much progress at it because the way we're going about it. Uh, there's so much emotional and non-scientific methodology way that we approach a lot of these issues. They will never get solved. And that's just my opinion, and I hope I'm wrong. Uh, you mentioned also uh, working with 400 people. Once again, uh, one of my favorite sayings in the corporate world, because I was kind of like that, is that a camel is a horse designed by committee. And think about that. <laughs> and, and, and you, you know, you can sit out designing a, a horse. If you got four hundred people doing it, it's going to turn out to be a camel. And yep. so that's a lot of what's going on here. 
So anyway, uh, but we you didn't... know how to solve it real quick, Lacey? Yeah you, yeah, you get rid of the career politicians. You install term limits. You give everybody opportunities to run for office, and then you don't have these political moles that get involved in the swamp in St. Paul and Washington D.C. And you have everyday normal people that are in politics instead of these career politicians. That's what we have to get rid of. And don't. And I, I have been saying, I've said it on occasion publicly, I think uh, the other big challenge is just to overcome human nature, our 400, yeah. 300,000 years of human evolution where we've developed this group ID, tribal thinking type of thing, and that's who we are. And, and we got yeah. people out there who are smart enough to take advantage of that and, and use that to shape our opinions and the choices that we make. Yeah. And uh, the people who's behind it, they, t they, they they brag about the fact that the average person would never figure out what they're doing. So I think that's one of the things we have to overcome. But here's the thing. It can be done. And you hit on it earlier. If we just get out and meet people and talk to people and we got good people out there that's really concerned about solving problems rather than uh, just getting elected to office. And, and this is my wrap up and we're going to close out the program. I can't believe that a lot of these people in charge of Minneapolis are running for office again. It, yeah. it, 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 it's just incredible to me, but that's, that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you very much, Mike, uh, for being my guest this evening. I always like for, our guest to end uh, with a positive note to our audience. Uh, Mike, who has uh, came up from Coon Rapids, uh, uh, got into uh, leading uh, Lexington, Minnesota, uh, made some good decisions, got married, have children and things like that, uh, I think, and just with a great attitude uh, and just got to be tenacious on some of these things. So leave, leave our audience uh, with a positive uh, message, Mike, as uh, we let you get off of here and go home and cook dinner. You, if you're already at home, go go upstairs and cook dinner, and yeah. tell your wife hi for me also. Uh, yeah, but uh, leave us with a positive uh, message here, Mike. Yeah, it, there's hope. There's hope out there. We 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 can't let the naysayers get us down. We can't let the media get us down. We can't let social media get us down. We have to let those things stop controlling our lives. We have to get out there and start doing good and making better for ourselves, our families, our communities, because that's how we thrive and survive as a society. That's very important. We have to just shut the TV off and stop listening and get to work. There is hope for Minnesota. It can be done. That's why I'm running for, for, for governor. Uh, I, Lacey, I could literally, and I've told you this before, care less about the title. I could care less about the house. I could care less about any of the perks of the office. I'm not motivated by any of that. I'm not motivated by the money. Uh, none of it. I could, it doesn't even mean anything to me. I'm motivated to help the people of Minnesota, to help the United States, to help my community, to help people better their lives, because that's what matters, right? We're only here for such a short amount of time. So let's, let's get out there. Everyone just make your impact on the world the best way you can. And we can come out of this pandemic. We can come out of this nonsense. We can come out of all of the fears that are constantly shoved down our throat all day long. We can make Minnesota a better state. We can make America a better country. We can just do this, right? But we, we have to stop, first off, hating each other. You know, you have the far left and the far right, and they're always the loudest noisemakers in the room. You just have to tune those people out and stop listening to them. Because me as a conservative, I don't care what anybody says. You can call me a Trumper or a QAnon conspiracy theorist, it doesn't get underneath my skin because I'm not like that. 
Yes, I'm a conservative. I stand for America first. I know most people do. The Constitution being in a better country, having a strong military society, I don't know why those things are so bad uh, to do. So there is hope. We just have to stop picking at each other all the time um, and get out there and make something of ourselves and ask for help. It's not that big of a deal to ask for help because we all, everybody needs help now and again, right? right. Um, so my website's MikeMurphy4MN.com, MikeMurphy4MN.com. Dot com. Sign up on my email list uh, as we were talking about the media, social media. They, of course, they block me. They cancel me. They they do everything. So if you want to get campaign updates or donate to the campaign, the website's the best place to do that. And of course, follow me on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, all of that stuff. Uh, Lacey, it's been a pleasure. I've been really looking forward to being on your podcast. Uh, I, you're, you're actually, believe it or not, uh, if somebody has to say who's one of your, you know, one of your role models, you're, you're in my top three. Um, I don't know what position, but you're in the top three. You know, the campaign that you ran against Ilan Omar, coming out as a community leader, putting yourself out there, uh, saying what needs to be said. Um, it's important because, you know, people need to hear the truth and we don't have the truth very often in our society anymore. And as the old saying is, you know, truth will set you free and that's what we need more of. Well, I appreciate that. A uh, little positive uh, feedback, but like you, I want our audience to know that this is not about any personal goals for me either. I just want to yeah. see uh, our community, our city, our state, me our too. country be the best it can be. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, thank you for being my guest. Uh, keep working hard. Uh, keep thinking about the tough issues that we've been trying to solve for decades. Uh, take in consideration uh, human nature and human evolution and yeah. brain science and everything else and we'll understand uh, what we're up against the subtleties of what we're up against and hopefully get to the bottom of some of these things so uh, thank you very much Mike Murphy for being on uh, Bright Lights and we will look to talk to you soon and to be honest with you I'll leave it with this I don't think I've ever spent any time in Lexington Minnesota uh, I will get that done sometime this year, and I'll let you know when I will be there. Uh, probably take someone out to dinner, lunch, a coffee, something there. So thanks, great, Mike. Great. Uh, have a great evening, and glad to have you as a guest on Bright Lights. And thanks to my audience out there. We really appreciate you also. And uh, I just believe in just trying to be the best at whatever you do. And so I'm going to keep working to be the best at what I do here. Got a long ways to go, but promise you that. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Good night and have a great evening. Okay. All right. Uh, I see in stream up there and I don't know whether it's in.